This is Bill Newman, WHMP. Welcome to the show. Yesterday, there was a series of primary elections that had, I think, important ramifications for the politics of the country. And here to talk about that with us, we have Larry Hott and Mickey McKinley, who are members of the Western Massachusetts volunteer team of the Movement Voter Project. On the second half of the show, we are going to explore the front page story in today's Daily Hampshire Gazette headline report, Dateline Amherst, Police Did Not Abuse Authority. We're going to talk about that and whether they did or didn't. First, we start our show with Larry Hott and Mickey McKinley. I'd like to get your perspective, your members of the Western Massachusetts volunteer team of the Movement Voter Project. We'll talk in a moment about what the Movement Voter Project is, what it's doing, what your work is, why it's important, and how it will influence national and local elections as well. First, I'd like to get your thoughts about what happened yesterday with Liz Cheney being overwhelmed in the Republican primary in Alaska, uh, in Wyoming, uh, and Murkowski winning in Alaska. Sarah Palin has had her political career resurrected in Alaska as well. Let's start with Liz Cheney. Uh, Larry Hott, your perspective on, well, she lost overwhelmingly in the Republican primary. Her opponent, of course, endorsed fervently by Donald Trump that's a little disturbing, to say the least. Wyoming, to be sure, is a very Republican state, but still. Your thoughts? We expected this to happen, and Liz Cheney expected it to happen. And in fact, she raised a lot of money on it. And I think the people who gave her that money knew that she was going to lose because they gave her that money to do something with it further on, which she's going to do. She received $14 million. She has $7 million left. And what she's going to do with it? Well, she may run for president, but what she's really doing is mounting a campaign to convince her fellow Wyomingans and anybody else who will listen to, listen to her, that they should not support election deniers. Uh, this is really related directly to Movement Voter Project because Movement Voter Project is all about elections and getting out the vote. It's not about the candidates. So if you're speaking, if you're asking what's the connection between Movement Voter Project and all these primaries, it's really important to understand that to move the needle of progressive politics in the United States, you don't give the money directly to the candidates. You give the money to the organizations that are out there organizing, educating, and getting people to the polls. And not just for these national tickets, these premier uh, marquee ballot uh, races, but up and down the ballot. And you see, Liz, Liz Cheney, if we concentrate on somebody like Liz Cheney, we're never going to win. I mean, it's nice that as a Republican, she at least has some moral and ethical values, unlike 90% of the Republicans out there right now, particularly at the federal level. But what we have to do is we have to be able to overwhelm the Republicans at every level. And if you see what's going on with gerrymandering, particularly in states like Wisconsin and Ohio, where the legislatures control uh, the gerrymandering process, it's sort of a catch-22. So you have to be able to get people out in those districts so they can get in, vote out those legislators so they can actually redo the gerrymandering. So your question about Liz Cheney and Sarah Palin, I'm sorry to tell you, Bill, I actually think that those are irrelevant to the bigger picture of how to save democracy. Well, Murkowski has a vote in the United States Senate. Uh, Liz Cheney will not have a vote in the United States House, and Sarah Palin may be a national, prominent national figure again with great influence, being more of an influencer than an actual uh, 
writer of laws. But yeah, and in the short term, we really have to worry about somebody like Sarah Palin, who was a Trumpster before Trump. Right? Uh, this is somebody who, who uh, plays on the politics of grievance. Uh, did you hear her speech? I yesterday? did. I didn't. Her speech basically said, we're taking back the country from the elitists. Now, if anybody is an elitist, it's somebody who was a former governor of a state, and by the way, who stepped down because she didn't have the courage to stay on. She was a very short-term governor. Her, yes, her, her, yes. Her time in the sun, or in the spotlight anyway, was uh, as the vice presidential candidate right. with John McCain. But she has nothing right. on her resume that points right. to someone being affected. By the way, this is a great, a great example of be careful what you wish for, because McCain sank, I mean, uh, Palin sank McCain's campaign. McCain very well would have been president. Obama gets elected, and then we get the Tea Party. The Tea Party is actually a reaction against Obama, right? And they have the cover of saying that they're fiscal conservatives, but what they really are are racists, right? And they have morphed into the Trumpsters, right? Uh, these are people whose politics say we have to have a white Christian America, and Sarah Palin is, is a representative of, of that group. And she probably would not have ra risen, uh, come back, had it not been for the election of Obama, and Trump would not have won had it not been for the election of Obama. So this is a really dangerous case for progressives. Like, the more successful we, ha we are, the more there is reaction against us, which means that we have to be more powerful. We have to get out the people who are going to vote for the things progressives believe in. How do you convince them to vote? Because right now, we have terrible apathy, right? So one of the things the Movement Voter Project does is it organizes at the local level. You know, I, I got into Movement Voter Project despite having no interest in fundraising. Spent my life fundraising for making movies. The last thing I wanted to do as a vol volunteer in politics was raise money. But it seems like the most effective thing you can do is get the money to the people on the ground in the communities who are doing the work. So I'm here with Mickey McKinley, who actually brought me into the Movement Voter Project. And the thing, I think the thing you said to me, Mickey, can you remember what you said to me? You said, I think you, you can tell it, that when you join the Movement Voter Project, you don't have to answer all those emails from all the other polit political groups out there because you know that this group is the most effective way of winning elections up and down the ballot. So let's let, let an example right here in Northampton, right? How many people up until recently weren't paying that much attention to the city council? But then we see how important the city council is when we're talking about police issues, when we're talking about the, the, the uh, Preservation Act funds. Um, everything to do with planning in the city, even right now getting down to where the swimming holes are going to be, right? If you don't pay attention to politics on the local level, then you're not gonna be able to influence politics up and down the ballot. I mean, look at who our, who our legislators are. We have Joe Comerford and Lindsay Sabadosa. And on, on the federal level, we have Jim McGovern. Um, if we did not elect those people, we would have no say in what's going on. But look across the country, how many people are paying attention to their local, council, uh, city council members, there were school board members, right? The, the select board members. The Republicans for the last 40 years have putting their energy into electing those people at the lower level positions. And that's where the power is. And Movement Voter Project knows that. So and, you and, and we should stop there to note that the local elected officials rise in their political prominence and often win more influential and more important seats uh, and positions that's what happens, and you're right, Larry. The Republicans organize locally across the country, and that is what has been a substantial part of their power and their ability to 
I wouldn't say they won elections because Trump lost, and he lost by 7 million votes even when he won. But still, right. their but still, organization... But still, we're in trouble because, <laughs> because we only have a slim majority in the House and we're 50-50 in the Senate. I want to ask Mickey, what was your incentive for getting involved? Mickey, you've been involved for a long time. What, what pulled you into the Movement Voter Project? This is Mickey McKinley, who is a member of the Western Massachusetts volunteer team of the Movement Voter Project. Mickey. Right. Hi. Um, well, going back to 2016 and looking at uh, my options for supporting change... I said to a friend of mine here in uh, Northampton, um, you know, I'd like to do something. I'd like to contribute, but I feel like contributing to a candidate is just <clears throat> flushing money down the drain uh, for ads and consultants, and it doesn't build anything in the long term. And she said to me, you know, I think you have to meet my friend Billy Wimsett, and he's the director and founder of Movement Voter Project. So we got together and... Uh, <clears throat> when I understood the strategy of Movement Voter Project, then I thought, oh, yeah, this is for me. This is what I want to support. And then gradually we developed our volunteer teams. But going back to what you were saying, Larry, about the importance of <clears throat> local councils, um, so many of us here in this blue state feel like, what can I do? And I don't know. I don't know what's going on in all these states, especially at the local council level. And that's exactly why I support Movement Voter Project, because, in fact, they are, they know what's going on. They have state advisors throughout the country working with coalitions of grassroots groups, and uh, they know what's going on. And that's also where you can get people engaged, because maybe the issue is swimming holes or uh, speed bumps or policing. I mean, these are issues that affect people's lives. And when the grassroots organizers help people connect the issues to voting, to showing up at a council meetings and making their voices heard, that's when change uh, really starts to happen. So if you could connect this uh, on the local level from Massachusetts to Kansas, for example, hmm. what, what just happened in Kansas? Uh, right. How was Movement Voter Project involved? Yes, well, that was certainly an example of grassroots groups working uh, <clears throat> talking to people, knocking on doors, talking to people. We should explain repeatedly. that the, the vote, the vote to preserve the constitutional protection in Kansas uh, for abortion rights, uh, was passed yeah. by overwhelming majority. But right. how did that come about? Yeah, it 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 was uh, overwhelmingly passed because people there were able to see that the, how important their votes were to preserving something that most people. Uh, do do want protected. Well, the Movement Voter Project has something called RAPS, Western Rural and Plain States Project, and there are at least six uh, grassroots organizations in Kansas mm -hmm. that got out the vote to preserve abortion rights in Kansas. Money that you give to Movement Voter Project, some of it goes to these organizations in Kansas that were getting out the vote. Mm -hmm. So here in Massachusetts, what can we do about Kansas? Mm -hmm. Right? We give money to the Movement Voter Project, which knows how to use it properly, gives it to people in Kansas who are on the ground. So did you ever canvass anywhere? Did you ever go out of state to canvass? Oh, yes. I've crossed uh, borders <laughs> to do that. I remember going to New Hampshire and knocking on doors. It uh, takes a long time. You, you know, you talk to maybe one or two people in the course of the day who, who actually listen to you. Um, and then you go home and you think, gee, what have I done today? Have I moved anybody's opinions? Uh, I really don't know. I and don't then think you so. give money to a group uh, through Movement Voter Project in Georgia, for example, 
mm-hmm. uh, in the 2020 election when uh, Ossoff and Warnock were running. Um, how do you get people out to vote for them from Massachusetts? We support groups like uh, Black Voters Matter, New Georgia Project, New Georgia Majority. These are the people who live there and work year round. These, you know, the groups that MVP supports um, are not just working on elections. I think that's a really important thing. They're working on movement building and community community concerns year round. Yeah, and these groups are, are overwhelmingly young people, people of people of color. Uh, there are um, white groups as, as well, particularly in the rural areas in, in, the, in the Midwest. Um, but these are the people that we want to get out and vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and a good example would be the Black Leaders Organizing Communities in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee. Uh, they got the black vote out in 2020, and it was that vote that tipped the needle that, uh, in Wisconsin, and that's why Wisconsin's electoral votes went to Biden. And it was one of those few states, the swing states, that, uh, that uh, got him over the edge to win the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go back to 2016, same city, Milwaukee. They didn't get out the vote. Uh, and four years later, they were able to get out that vote and won the election for Biden in Wisconsin. And that money from, that one gives to Movement Voter Project made that difference. So that's, that's, a, that's a, a big battle, and we can see the results of Biden. Everybody wants the the president to be, in our group, wants the president to be a Democrat. But you don't get there unless you start on the ground with the groups electing people at the local level first. We're speaking with Larry Hott and Mickey McKinley from the Movement Voter Project, the Western Massachusetts volunteer team of the Movement Voter Project. When you come back, I want to ask this question. Can any of this actually make a difference given voter suppression? Can any of this make a difference given gerrymandering? How is this going to prevail in this year's elections and in 2024? We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Modest, very minimal increase in the police budget, largely uh, due to just regular contractual um, obligations. Holyoke is nothing like Northampton and Greenfield. The quality of life uh, issues, our demographics, very, very different. So I can never compare our police departments. The challenges we have going on in our city are very, very different. 101.5, and 12.40. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. I chose community mental health to serve populations that are often underserved. Megan is a therapist at ServiceNet. One core value at ServiceNet is to continue to learn, to really strive for the most effective treatment. If you're looking for a strong sense of community and collaboration, come to ServiceNet. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. What's for dinner tonight? What's on your plate is a conversation with the land, with the farmers. Local farm fresh food is all around. Get it direct from farms and farm stands, at farmers markets, at grocery stores, in local restaurants. Just look for CISA's bright yellow Local Hero label, letting you know that this is food from local farms, grown with care by friends and neighbors. Local Hero food, as fresh as it gets. Hi, 
Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the City of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on vaccine clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages five and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19, and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard down. Want to support the kind of local talk you hear on The Bill Newman Show? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And we'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation with members of the Movement Voter Project, the Western Massachusetts volunteer team of the Movement Voter Project, Larry Hott and Mickey McKinley. You've described how the Movement Voter Project works, which is significantly it raises money. It, it then curates and vets groups that are on the ground in other states where you and we are not going to be able to go to do work, to get out the vote, to educate voters, to have a permanent presence as well as a motivating presence uh, when it comes to elections. I get that. And I think it's really important. And by way of disclosure, I have supported and my wife and I have supported the Movement Voter Project. That said, Given all of the voter suppression efforts by the right wing, which have been significantly successful, given the court decisions that have endorsed gerrymandering and said that the federal courts will do nothing about gerrymandering, given the way in which the uh, election officials have manipulated elections saying, no, we don't want drop boxes. No, we don't want a lot of early voting. No, you can't have a, a, a bottle of water while you're standing on lawn in the 95 degree heat. No, 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 in order to suppress votes. How is this, how is this configuration, how is this model actually going to be effective? So Larry or Mickey, help me understand that. Talk me off this ledge. Go ahead, Mickey. Yeah, a couple of things um, that come to mind about what uh, these groups can actually do. For instance, as the um, people have applied for um, vote by mail and they never get their ballot. So helping people um, call the local registrars, uh, seeing that, that their, their, their application was received, um, make, making sure they get their ballots. Um, explaining to people that they have to re-register in some states and re-request that mail-in ballot over and over for each. Um, so informing voters on uh, exactly what's going on within their state and their district. And it's interesting to think about Georgia. So after Brian Kemp, uh, uh, with a lot of dirty tricks, probably won 
the governorship in 2018 and installed lots, lots of these voter suppression methods, uh, these groups we support worked very hard, and we know what happened in 2020. So despite all those attempts at voter suppression, um, Georgia turned blue and elected two uh, Democratic senators. Right, so we have to separate voter suppression from gerrymandering, two different things. Yes. And in voter suppression, Movement Voter Project has been able to overwhelm the Republicans at the polls by educating the people and getting them out in spite of not being able to have water. And that's what they did in, in Georgia. And that is just an organizing effort on the ground. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of money. So what does the Movement Voter Project money do, for example, to the, to the, for the groups that are doing this? Well, they have to pay for the laptops and the cell phones and the gasoline and the food and all the other things that an office needs to organize and get people out. Right? So think about if, if there were not voter suppression, it may be, say, an office needs $50,000 to do that work. But with this voter suppression, maybe you need 100000 or $200,000. It's right. You need that money to get more volunteers, sometimes paid volunteers, out into the community to get people to the polls and make sure they understand all the, all the rules. Right? But gerrymandering is something else. And gerrymandering a lot of times has to do with whether the state's Supreme Court allows those maps. Now, not every, case, not every state elects their Supreme Court justices. Some of them are appointed. Nonetheless, who is appointing them? Elected officials. So you have to understand, if you're in Wisconsin, for example, where you elect Supreme Court justices, you've got to get people out to vote. So Jill Kurkowski in Wisconsin, who is a Democrat, won the vote with the help of MVP-supported groups and got her onto the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Unfortunately, the Democrats are not in the majority, but... If you keep voting for the other ones, eventually they will be. And states like um, Wisconsin, where Tony Evers is the Democratic governor, where you have a Republican-run legislature, you have to figure out how to get a majority in that legislature so you can, so you can have a, uh, some kind of legislation passed that will be uh, ratified by the governor. So it takes a strategy, and the Movement Voter Project has experts who understand the strategy, state advisor on the strategy in every state, figure out where should the money go, which groups are working on it, how to get people elected up and down the ballot so that they can get people into positions of power, like the state attorney generals, for example, so that they can control or supervise these votes so that they are not taken over, rigged, or somehow uh, subverted by the Republicans. I'd like the two of you to address a topic that we have skirted over this morning, and that is voter apathy. Because even in the presidential election, with all of the turmoil that is associated with that, the United States still has very low voter turnout. Um, there is a significant percentage of potential voters who just don't vote. Why that is has been the subject of innumerable studies. But the reality is many people, a large percentage, don't vote. And when it comes to down-ballot races, which we have been talking about to some degree, the turnout is, or the participation rate, is even lower. So how do you com combat that? Because I think that the, that the polling and the studies show that those, those members of the public who are potential voters who don't vote, if they voted, would vote for progressive candidates mm -hmm. or prog progressive positions. But there is this apathy. I guess it's apathy. Maybe it's more than apathy. Maybe it's resistance. Maybe it's affirmatively, my vote doesn't matter. The whole system is corrupt. That sort of perspective that 
thwarts people from going to the polls and participating. What's your perspective? Nikki? I don't have an answer for that, but I can say that I don't have the uh, uh, data in front of me, but the increase in uh, both um, voting by uh, people of color and youth in the 2020 election was huge. Uh, So the people that are working, uh, our MVP-supported groups, are getting the message out that, uh, that voting is very important. There was an example in Detroit a few years ago where the Detroit Hispanic Coalition um, had an initiative that they were working on to get busing for families from one end of town to the other <coughs> to get the kids to magnet schools. The parents were not registered. <coughs> Excuse me. And in order to vote in that ballot initiative to get busing, they had to register to vote. Once they were registered to vote, they, went, they got them educated about the other issues that were on the ballot. So the, one of the answers to apathy is to find the issues that the people are interested enough in to register and get out to vote. And that takes a lot of time in organizing. It's called relational organizing, too, where you talk to people you know. It's hand-to-hand, right? You're going out. You're knocking indoors. Even during the pandemic, you can do this. You, know, you call people you know. We found this in fundraising uh, with Movement Voter Project that if we just send emails to people we know and follow up with a phone call, we'll get a response. Well, it's the same thing with voter registration. You just can't do it with sending out pamphlets. You can't do it with television ads. And for an example of actually how effective Movement Voter Project can be is you compare what $125,000 does for uh, organizing in terms of getting people out versus a television ad. It's like 10 to 1, right? So it's the same thing. That money is on the ground. It's being used to get out to people, to talk to them, and get them interested in the issues that, they, that concern them, and then they will also be in the ballot box or, and you educate them about whom they should vote for. Okay, in terms of Western Mass MVP, Movement Voter Project, we just have a minute left. What can people do to join, and what does MVP in Western Mass do in addition to raising money? Mickey? Yeah, right, thanks. Um, so first of all, I want to uh, emphasize that all money given and donated by us to MVP goes directly to the groups. The staff is funded totally separately. So that's great to know there's no overhead. So certainly you should check out uh, the the website, which is simply movement.vote, and learn a lot more about this organization. And if you'd like to get in touch with us here in Western Mass, our email is mvp.westmass at gmail.com. So just let us know what you're interested in. We raise money primarily by doing virtual house parties. So uh, if you want to host a party, you invite your friends, Larry and I and other members of our group show up and, uh, and run the whole uh, evening's program. Larry, a final word? I, I would emphasize that getting involved can mean just talking to your friends or ho- hosting a house party. Um, you can help uh, by sending out thank you letters, t- which brings in more money. Um, and you can educate your friends by going to movement.vote, learning about it, and telling them that this is the most, absolutely most effective way to win elections and change the course of democracy in America. Mickey, give the website for Western Mass again, please. MVP.westmass at gmail.com. 
Nikki McKinley, Larry Hott, Western Massachusetts volunteer team members of the Movement Voter Project. Thank you both so very much for Thanks, being Bill. here and for your work. Thanks, Thanks Monty. If it's a bunch of clowns you voted in, election day is coming around again. This is Bill Newman, WHO. If you don't like it now, if it's more For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. East Hampton Mayor Nicola Chappelle is speaking out about the controversial remarks she made to members of the high school civics competition team back in April. La Chappelle says she made immediate amends after a mother and one of the students said they were hurt by the comments. But La Chappelle expressed frustration with the school committee wanting to call an executive session. This idea that the school committee wanted me to come to an executive session and then afterwards said, you know, we wanted to ask her questions. We were hurt. She didn't meet to us. Well, you know, with all due respect, it's not about the school committee. La Chapelle says workshops on undoing racism have been ongoing in East Hampton since 2020, and they will continue to do so. A billboard promoting the Summer Eats program, which was located outside CVS on Federal Street in Greenfield, was removed this week after concerns that it depicted a racist stereotype. The billboard featured a young black girl eating a slice of watermelon. Superintendent Christine DeBarge tells the Greenfield Recorder she had not personally seen the billboard, nor had she received complaints from the community. At the request of the Greenfield School Department, the billboard company removed the advertisement. Over 100 people came out Monday night for a community outreach meeting for a proposed marijuana dispensary in Florence. Most of the residents expressed opposition to the new business, which would take over the building currently occupied by Pizza Factory. A major concern expressed was the number of students who walked by the location from JFK Middle School. The next step in the process is for owner Marco Aranzula to go back to the mayor in order to get a host community agreement signed. Good morning. Just a little bit of rain out there today. Mostly cloudy, 72 to 76. Clouds continue tonight. There may even be a period of steady rain this evening. An overnight low of 54 to 60. Sun cloud mix. Slight chance for a shower tomorrow, 76 to 80. 22 new storm team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochebeca con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. El presidente Joe Biden promulgó el proyecto de ley de cambio climático y atención médica histórico de los demócratas el martes, entregando lo que llamó la pieza final de su agenda nacional reducida, ya que apunta a mejorar la posición de su partido entre los votantes en menos de tres meses antes de las elecciones intermedias. La legislación incluye la inversión federal más sustancial en la historia para combatir el cambio climático, unos 375 mil millones de dólares durante la década y limitaría los costos de los medicamentos recetados a $2,000 dólares anuales de bolsillo para los beneficiarios de Medicare. También ayudaría a aproximadamente 13 millones de estadounidenses a pagar el seguro de atención médica al extender los subsidios proporcionados durante la pandemia de coronavirus. La medida se paga con nuevos impuestos a las grandes empresas y una mayor aplicación del IRS a las personas y entidades adineradas con fondos adicionales destinados a reducir el déficit federal. En otras informaciones, a los distritos escolares de Massachusetts se les dijo el lunes que deberían enfocar sus estrategias de mitigación de COVID-19 hacia las personas vulnerables y sintomáticas este próximo año escolar, en lugar de implementar requisitos universales de uso de máscaras o pruebas de vigilancia de estudiantes y personal asintomáticos. El comisionado de Educación Jeff Riley y la comisionada de Salud Pública Margaret Cook distribuyeron un memorando el lunes diciéndoles a los distritos que el Estado no está 
estar recomendando requisitos universales de máscaras, pruebas de vigilancia de personas asintomáticas, rastreo de contactos o pruebas de permanencia en las escuelas y recordándoles que no existen requisitos de prueba o mascarillas en todo el estado. Riley dijo el lunes que está esperando que el año escolar vuelva lo más cerca posible de las normas previas a la pandemia. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. On the front page of today's Daily Hampshire Gazette, Dateline Amherst Report. Police did not abuse authority. Diversity director cites erroneous statements in interaction with youths. youths. The erroneous statement, erroneous statement, you have no rights. That's what the police told the youth in Amherst. I want to talk to our guests who are with us now. We have Amrita Rutter and Marisol uh, uh, Bonifaz. They are youth activists. They are co-hub leaders of Amherst Sunrise. We also have with us Alicia Walker, who is an Amherst Council member, and Pat Onanabaku, who is a community organizer. Let me start with you, Pat. Uh, for those of our listeners who don't know this story, there are two pieces I want to cover in which you give us the factual background. First, what was the event? What happened that caused an Amherst police officer, or at least uh, allowed an Amherst police officer to instruct non-youth in Amherst who are being detained, you have no rights. Um, and then what happened last night at the council meeting where this matter was discussed? So please, the microphone is yours. For those of our listeners who don't know this story, please tell us. Okay, so on the early morning of Ju July 5th, a group of nine youth gathered at an apartment complex in Amherst, minding their own business and took MS police officers showed up and they started questioning the kids why, why they were there. Um, one of the police officers had stated that they had no rights and that they, they had been detained. The kids questioned the officers why they were being detained. Meanwhile, one of the kids had called AAA because of flat tire. Instead of the police officers to help the kid who had the vehicle issue, that didn't happen. And it's really strange to me that we don't have coffee in our mess. And yes, this, this case we're being detained for no good reason. Let, so on Monday... Let's okay. stop there for just one sec, if we could, please. Um, so at the incident, at this event, there are nine youth... Um, at least three, I've heard more, but at least three are youth of color. Um, and uh, there are maybe two cars um, that are there. And uh, somehow the police detain nine youth. Do we understand yet what the justification is for detaining nine Nine, nine people, nine young people. There's no curfew in Amherst. What are the nine people doing wrong that's, that causes the Amherst police to say, you can't leave, you're being detained, you have no rights? I, I can you help me understand that? Do, yeah, they didn't do anything wrong. That, that's the problem. I, I feel that the, MS, the two police officers profiled the kids because there were actually six kids of color, six BIPOC. Okay. 
So that's what happened. And then this matter, there was, you were about to tell us, I think, about the investigation and then what happened at the Amherst Council last night. So please, back to you, Pat Onubaku. Okay. So as a member of the newly town-created committee, uh, Community Safety, Social Justice Committee, um, we had written a an email to the town council requesting to meet with them to have the incident put on the agenda. So on Monday, there was a four-hour meeting and the new DEI director, Dr. Young, had put out uh, a memo and basically downplayed the incident. I felt that the report was um, was in inaccurate and incomplete. The kids were being attacked and um, the police officers were being defended for, for misconduct. Yeah, we should point out that in this story, there were no arrests, there were no criminal charges brought. Uh, there was no physical violence uh, or injuries of any sort on any, on any side of this. So that helps, I hope that helps to complete the picture. Um, maybe it would be a good time now to turn to Alicia Walker. Alicia Walker is a member of the Amherst Town Council. Could you tell us what happened at this four-hour meeting that uh, Pat Ananabaku told, just told us about? Alicia Walker, council member. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Bill. Um, so at the council meeting yesterday, uh, we had the opportunity to have the police chief as well as our new appointed DEI director, as well as our new um, CREST director present along with the town manager um, to give us sort of an overview of what their investigation found. Um, and so there was also a written report by the DEI director that detailed uh, what she looked into and what her findings were of the incident. Um, and so I think that it seems to be that there are still a lot of unanswered questions and missing information in the report that was presented um, at the council meeting. It was a very uh, matter of fact that looked pretty much only into the police officer's point of view of the situation. Um, I think it was stated that the youth and the families were not reached out to during this investigation. Um, it was stated that none of the families filed a complaint. However, the youth and the families were harassed and rightfully so afraid probably to file a complaint. And so this was followed up on as a request from the, um, uh, who requested the review, the Human Rights Commission requested the review of the incident. Um, and so that is where the investigation came into place. Uh, and so at the council meeting last night, we had the presentation from the DEI director, as well as um, some commentary from the police chief who stated um, basically what they did for their investigation and that they don't plan to reach out to families until after their investigation has concluded, which again, I thought was quite strange. Um, and so ultimately it doesn't seem as though there has been any accountability um, and that although the town manager did state, you know, sometimes people make mistakes and all of those things, there was still no official apology or any type of healing or any type of outreach to the youth and the families who were involved and affected by anyone 
inside the PD or outside of the PD. Let me read to you, if I might, uh, two short paragraphs from today's Daily Hampshire Gazette story. I'd appreciate your your reaction to this. Uh, This is, again, from today's Daily Hampshire Gazette. Police Chief Scott Livingstone said he had spoken to both officers about what transpired. Quote, he regretted it the second it came out, Livingstone said of one of the police officers' comments. Both of the officers feel bad about it. He added, and this is the part I would like you to comment on, that the remaining time the officers spent with the youth was cordial and that they, the police, had a duty to stay with the youth until parents and guardians were contacted and made it to the scene. The department otherwise might have faced criticism should there have been another outcome for the youths, he said. If someone wandered off, that was our responsibility. And I don't really understand that. If the police had not come to the scene, the youth could have just left. They could have walked home. They could have gotten a ride. They could have done whatever they were going to do. And yet they were detained there and told they had no rights and therefore no right to leave until their parents came. I don't really understand that, and I'm wondering if there is an explanation that the town of Amherst has received. Um, So first I just wanted to quickly address, because I think um, we had a member of the CSJC at the meeting last night, Deborah Ferreira, who stated very well, um, I think, that of course, the rest of the the rest of the interaction was cordial because the teens were just harassed and told that they had no rights. So, of course, they're going to be submissive and follow any instructions thereafter because they were just told that they have no rights and they were also not allowed to call their parents. Um, and so, it's not surprising that the rest of the incident went quote unquote like cordial and well after that. Um, and then I also just wanted to speak to we were not given an explanation. Um, I think think last night there were a couple of things that were offered, um, such as we have a Massachusetts state law that uh, teenagers who have their license cannot operate a vehicle after midnight. Um, However, it's still slightly confusing because the the call was a noise complaint, um, and it was the teens were not actually driving the vehicle, as stated. They were in a parking lot with a flat tire. Um, and so it's unclear as to why they would have been they would have been detained for that reason. It's also unclear if the police even had any reason to believe that the teens had planned to get in the car and continue to drive after that. Um, and so I don't think we were offered a clear reason as to why the youth were detained. Um, it went from a noise complaint to um, they can't drive after 12, even though they weren't driving. And so I think there's still a lot of um, misleading information floating around, and it's and we weren't given any clear answers. What about? Bill? Yes, please. Bill? I, yes, please. If I might jump in very quickly, the only reason that the police felt it was cordial was because a white parent showed up, and it made a huge difference. Prior to the white parents showing up, there was... Um, a BIPOC parent, a female parent, who was there, the, the police officers disrespected her. She's, she spoke uh, English very little. She, she's not fluent in English. So I just want to point that out. And the kids were very respectful. They, were in, they didn't insult or um, 
or cuss word or any any of those things to the officers. So that that's why it was cordial. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. We're going to continue this conversation and bring in two members of you two youth activists from Amherst Sunrise. We'll be right back. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. But what are we drinking in the wine bunker today? Random white wine. All right. Hello, I'm Random White Guy, and I'm going to be drinking Random White Wine. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. The first one here is the uh, Gomez Cruzado from the Haro region of Rioja, and this is a white wine. Now, most people might be familiar with Viora, but this is also blended with 25% Tempranillo Blanco. I always forget that that's even a thing. Don't we all? The first sip almost seems puckering dry, but it really rounds out. A couple more sips into it, it and it is lush and creamy. But it's not so creamy without acid. There's like a, there is yeah. a little bit of acid in there. When it's too creamy, I get really bored and it's like what they call flabby, but with the acid, it braces it and it makes it really yeah. good. This, this I want like scallops. You mean scallops? I don't care. I want them. I care. Scallops. There we go. Thank you. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street. This Tuesday, the Pines Theater at Look Park in Florence will be transported back in time to the 90s for performance 32, Nevermind the 90s, a live tribute musical fundraiser. All your favorite local hero bands will be performing as their favorite bands from the 90s. Spanish for Hitchhiking as Pearl Jam, Winter Pills as The Sundays, Soul Magnets as Miss Lauren Hill, Sun Parade as Elliot Smith, Gemaya Diggs as Whitney Houston, Problems with Dragons as Nirvana, Bunnies as They Might Be Giants, and so many more. Each year in August, the Northampton Arts Council and the parent-teacher organizations of Northampton's public school system join forces to raise funds for arts enrichment in the schools and our community for the premier end-of-the-summer musical party. Performance 32, never mind the 90s. This Tuesday, starting at 4 p.m., Pines Theater, Look Park. Tickets available in person at State Street Food Store in Northampton and Cooper's Corner in Florence. Or buy online, hamparts.org. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard has led to a lot of firsts for me. The education assistance I received made it possible for me to be the first person in my family to go to school and graduate debt-free. That education helped get me to the first day at my dream job, a job that I can still hold while I serve part-time. That job, plus the other benefits possible from the Army National Guard, helped me become a first-time homeowner. Also, part of my role as a National Guard soldier means I know that I can be one of the first to respond and help my community if disaster ever strikes. I'm extremely proud that I get to serve my community. And that first step I took by joining the Army National Guard has made all the difference in my life. Talk to your local recruiter or visit nationalguard.com to find out what firsts are available to you in the Army National Guard. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Army National Guard. Aired by the Massachusetts Broadcasters Association at this station. This is Bill Newman, WHMP. We continue our conversation about the incident in Amherst with the police telling nine youth, six uh, being uh, uh, identified as uh, persons of color or BIPOC. Um, we have with us uh, Alicia Walker, who is an Amherst Council member, a four-hour hearing at the Amherst Council last night, uh, Pat Onanabaku, who is a uh, community organizer, as well as two youth activists, co-hub leaders, hubs being the uh, local group for Amherst Sunrise, 
M. Ritter, uh, Rutter and uh, Marisol P- Pierce Bonifaz. Thank you both so much for being with us. Let me start with you, Marisol. P- Marisol, please. What's your view? You're a member, of, you're a youth activist, you're a co-hub leader for Amherst Sunrise. How does this event affect youth in Amherst? Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Bill. Um, I attended the four-hour Monday public hearing, and I was extremely frustrated. Uh, One, by the nature of the conversation, uh, there was about two or three hours of which it was all of the counselors, uh, majority white, older, uh, no teenagers involved, that were discussing an incident that pertained directly to my age um, and to my generation. I felt if this was really a public hearing that was going to involve the public, it should have been something that involved teenagers, either the teenagers involved in the incident or just teenagers directly. Um, And I think that this uh, incident and the harassment of police officers uh, to teenagers sends a message to all teenagers uh, that they are not safe and they are not listened to. Uh, and I am perfectly used to the fact of having to prove my voice in Amherst, but this is just yet another uh, reminder that I will have to continue to do that and that really that my government does not listen or care at all as well with a very little decision making and more a large amount of discussion and a lacking of any sort of facts uh, report that was presented on Monday. You were at this council meeting. Was there any statement or conclusion that the police did wrong, what they said was wrong, what they did was wrong, whether the detention was wrong. Was there any resolution in that regard? There was really no acknowledgement uh, that they did anything wrong and more that they regretted what they said, uh, but not that they did anything wrong and that they actually had to stay there because of a legitimate noise complaint. Um, And there was pretty much no apology. Do we know whether or not the noise complaint had any validity? It's irrelevant in many ways, but whether there was... uh, They claimed it was legitimate, uh, which meant they had to stay on the scene. Um, But I tend to disagree. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm unclear about that. Let me turn to your co-hub leader, if I might, uh, M. Ritter Rutter. Your view, please. Yeah, so, I mean, I really see this as a wake-up call to the youth of Amherst, like, we're always told, like, in school and by all the adults around us that we live in, like, this really safe haven, progressive place, and we should stop complaining, and we're so lucky, and there's really no reason to defund the police or anything because, like, they don't do anything wrong, and I think that this event really proves that, like, the police in Amherst have faults, too, and it's not like the one of the biggest arguments they made on that town council meeting was that the police officers hadn't done any misconduct and that it wasn't an abuse of power and so it was okay and to me that speaks to the fact that like we are okay as a town moving past something as long as it's okay with the policy that we've already made and as long as like everyone agrees it wasn't misconduct but it ended up well, the police, like, are a system that everyone is afraid of already and, like, has such power over the town already. And so it doesn't really matter if it was a policy thing or not because we're already scared of them. And, like, yeah, it just it shows that the police force 
or the police system needs to be restructured for it to be like equitable and safe for everybody. Uh, let me go back. We just have less than a minute left uh, to uh, Amherst Council, Town Council member Alicia Walker. Is there any further further investigation that's going to be done? And if you can make comment on why the police were called as opposed to the new alternative to police organization in Amherst, I'd appreciate that as well. Alicia Walker. Yeah, thank you, Bill. So it is, yes, it was also unclear to me whether or not there will be a further investigation. There was suggestion made that the new DEI director partner with the CFSJC, which is the Community Safety and Social Justice Group, who was really implemented to be supportive of the DEI department to sort of build off of the already existing report. Um, and, okay, sorry, to build off of the already existing report and so I'm hoping that that will happen. Um, however, it was made unclear as to whether or not that is actually going to be the case. We thank you also very much, Alicia Walker and Ritter Rudder, Marisol Pierce Bonifaz, and Pat Ananabaku. Thank you also very much. Thanks you for your participation. Thank you for your insights. Need a ride to the doctor? Tech support? Pictures hung? Looking to connect with others in the community? At Northampton Neighbors, our goal is to help seniors live independent, fulfilling lives by providing connection and support along the way. We are free of charge and offer a range of social and volunteer opportunities, as well as services for members 55 and older in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. Membership in Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. It's about engaging in place. This place, the city of Northampton. We welcome one and all to join, volunteer, or donate to Northampton Neighbors. Together, we can create the community we all want to live in, now and in the future. Find us at NorthamptonNeighbors.org or by calling 413-341-0160. Thank you. The only live and local talk in the Valley and for the Valley. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock.